Thank you for coming this morning. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, Matthew and Seth were away this week for a well-deserved vacation. They did not go away together. (laughs) But both should be back uh, tomorrow morning in the office uh, when we gather for our staff meeting. Both are expected to be back, so we look forward to that. Pray for them. I pray that uh, today is their Uh, Today is their final day of vacation. Pray that they have a good day of rest uh, today. My name is Stephen Salvis. Uh, It is my joy to be the associate pastor here at Grace. I just so appreciate the opportunity uh, to be here and preach this morning. Boy, I was going to panic if I couldn't get these out of my my pocket. Uh, Hey, would you give Aaron a round of applause? Thank Aaron for being here today. Aaron and Seth grew up together at, remind me of the church, Barber's Creek, Barker's Creek, Baptist Church, and uh, with Seth gone, he called Aaron, Aaron and his dear wife Rebecca are here, make sure you make them feel welcome this morning, I know they would appreciate that. If you have your Bibles, turn to uh, the Apostle John's first letter, 1 John Chapter 1 is where we'll be today. If you don't know where 1 John is, go to the end of your Bible. Go to the back of the Bible, you'll find Revelation, and then just start moving left. You'll go through Revelation for a little bit, then you might get to 3 John, but you might not because it's so small, you may just skip over it. 2 John is also quite small, then you get to 1 John. If you got to Peter, or if you got to James, or Hebrews, you went too far... Start going back to the right. First John chapter 1 is where we'll be today. And as you're finding First John, uh, let me remind you of our all-church picnic that is going to happen on Sunday, May 7th, that uh, late in the afternoon. We'll confirm the time as it gets closer. Uh, but I have said many times, this is one of the best days of the year when we gather as a a church at Driesen Beach Park for the all-church picnic, because after the picnic, we'll have our baptism service in the waters of the Atlantic Ocean. Best Sunday of the year. And if you are interested in knowing more about baptism, would you see me or see Matthew or call the church office? We would love to connect with you, talk to you more about that. But we'd love to get you on the list for baptism. You want to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. 1 John chapter 1, we'll start in verse 1, and I'm reading uh, the entire chapter, which is 10 verses long. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. I'm reading from the King James Version this morning because that's what I learned and memorized this chapter from. This is what the Bible says. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. 
And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Title of the message this morning is, The Gospel is True. So now what? The gospel is true. So now what? And I have a subtitle for you. Nothing to track this morning, as I uh, often do. I have a subtitle for you to the message. That subtitle is this. The parable of the dash cam video. The parable of the dash cam video. Stay tuned. We'll get there. But let's bow our heads and pray together. Lord, I'm so thankful for the morning. And I'm so thankful for your grace, and I'm so thankful for the people of Grace Church and everyone you brought through our doors this morning. Whether it's a longtime member or a first-time guest, you knew who would be here today. And you've been preparing their heart for the message. So continue to do that now, Lord, and speak this morning, please. Speak to my own heart, even as I preach. Challenge us today, dear God. May your spirit fall fresh on us. Have your way in us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So those of you who've been at Grace for any uh, length of time know that uh, we are in year number two of our current sermon series that is titled Following the Servant Savior. That's what we're calling our study through the Gospel of Mark Two weeks ago, we were in uh, Mark chapter 11. Matthew will pick that up next week, but I appreciate so much uh, his giving me freedom uh, to preach from where I felt led this morning. I've just been thinking about this particular message for some time. It's the perfect follow-up to Easter Sunday, uh, and I've been excited about this. So, Uh, Before we jump into 1 John, I want you to listen to the words of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1 and verse 1. This is what the Bible says. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, 
the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel. Question. What is the gospel? No need to answer out loud. Just think about that question for a moment. What is the gospel? The Greek word translated gospel in Mark chapter 1 verse 1 is the word euangelion. It looks like this, euangelion. You can see the word evangelical in that Greek word, euangelion. It's a word that was associated with victories in battle when a messenger came off the battlefield uh, back to his hometown and declared victory it was called euangelion which means good news good news from the battlefield the old english translation of euangelion is the word godspel Godspell. It looks like God's spell. It's pronounced Godspell with a long O sound. It's a mashup of two words in the Old English. The first is goad, which means good, and spell, which means story or message. And it's from that word Godspell that we get our current English word, gospel. Good news. Good story, good message. So I ask again, what is the gospel? Mark 1.1 1, 1 says in the King James Version, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Most other translations say the same, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But several, such as the Good News Translation, or the New Living Translation, and I think even the, the NIV, say the gospel about Jesus Christ. And I like that. And I like what one commentator wrote about the gospel. He wrote this, In Mark's understanding, the gospel is more than a set of truths or even a set of beliefs. The gospel is a person. And that person is Jesus. Of course, in a broad sense, all of this book is the gospel. Jesus is the central figure in the Old Testament, pointing forward to his coming. Jesus is the central figure in the New Testament, Describing his life, his sinless life, his death and resurrection. And then talking about it after the resurrection, as John does here in 1 John chapter 1. But it also points forward to Jesus' second coming. So all of this book can be called the gospel. But more specifically, I want you to hear the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The words of the Apostle Paul. This is what the Bible says. Chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand, 
by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Paul defines the gospel in these verses, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Specifically, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we celebrated last week. And by the way, wasn't last week also? The singing, the message, the fellowship, the turnout, I left here on an emotional and spiritual high last week. And I hope you did too. So back to 1 John. It was about 60 years after the resurrection that the Apostle John wrote these words in his first letter. And his motivation in writing was to combat those who were teaching a different message. There were some who were teaching Jesus never came in the flesh. They believed spirit is good and flesh is evil. Spirit good, flesh evil. God is spirit. He would never become flesh. God would never take on human form. That's what they were teaching. That Jesus never came in the flesh. Surely God who is spirit would never become a man wrapped in flesh. That was their argument. A comparison today would be if someone were to say John Kennedy or Martin Luther King were not real people. Sixty years after their deaths, there are people living today who knew John Kennedy. There are people living today who heard Martin Luther King speak at the National Mall in Washington, D.C. There are people today who know John Kennedy and Martin Luther King were real people in the flesh. And with this letter, the Apostle John wants you to know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came in the flesh. There were also some in that day who were teaching a better way to interpret and understand the Scriptures, that the Bible had a mystical meaning that was reserved for a select group of people. And this group of people lived up here in the clouds. There was nothing uh, about rubber-meets-the-road Christianity. There was nothing about living out the Christian faith with others. They lived up here in the clouds. And they thought they were the select group of people, special people who understood what the Bible really meant. And here comes the Apostle John. In defense of the gospel, in defense of the reality of Jesus as fully God and fully man, in defense of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he begins his letter with these words, that which was from the beginning. That word was here means already was. That which was already in existence from the beginning. From the beginning is at the time of creation. And the end of verse 1 identifies the subject of the verse. 
that which was from the beginning of the Word of Life. The Word, capital W in Word, is Jesus, who was already in existence from the beginning of creation. Now, uh, in the interest of full disclosure, there are some people who don't take my view. And that's okay. There are plenty who do. There are some who say that when John writes that which was from the beginning, he's not referring to the beginning uh, of creation when Jesus already was. They would agree that's true. They're not arguing that. But they would say that uh, what John is referring to is that which was from the beginning of Jesus' public ministry and his message, the gospel message he would be preaching. I don't take that view. And it's okay that there's disagreement. It doesn't mess up the text too much. But this is what I have come to to the conclusion of based on my own study. So continuing in verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. This one who was already in existence from the beginning, this Jesus, John and the other disciples, heard what he had to say. In a conversation with Nicodemus that is recorded in John chapter 3, they heard Jesus say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. In a private conversation with Jesus in Matthew chapter 25, the disciples heard Jesus say, and these, that is the wicked, that is the unrighteous, that is those who are not truly made righteous by faith in Jesus Christ, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Eternal punishment. That is hell. Jesus taught the reality of hell. And John heard it. What else did the disciples hear Jesus say? He taught his disciples in Mark chapter 9. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. Three times, grace. Three times, Jesus predicted his betrayal, his arrest, his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection from the dead. Three times the disciples heard him say this. Three times they didn't understand what he was trying to tell them. And on the cross, they heard Jesus speak forgiveness over those who crucified him. Father, forgive for they know not what they do. Over and over again, the disciples heard Jesus command the eyes of the blind to see. They heard him command the ears of the deaf to hear. They heard him command the the tongue of the mute to speak. They heard him command the legs of the lame to walk. And they even heard him speak dead men back to life. 
They not only heard Jesus speak these things, they saw the results. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. What did the disciples see? They saw Jesus turn water into wine, John chapter 2. They saw Jesus promote racial reconciliation and love for social outcasts by showing compassion to the Samaritan woman at the well, John chapter 4. They saw Jesus feed 5,000 people with only five loaves and two fish, John chapter 6. They saw Jesus walk on water, again, John chapter 6. They saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, John chapter 11. They saw Jesus arrested. They saw Jesus crucified. They saw him die. John 18 and John 19. The Son of God in the flesh died on a cross. All of those examples are from the Gospel of John. And hear what John wrote as he neared the finish of that gospel. He wrote these words. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. This is not all they saw. They saw so much more. John says he... They saw so much more, he couldn't even include it in all the books that are published. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, that which was from the beginning which we have looked upon. Which we have looked upon. Have looked upon is better translated beheld or gazed upon. Some translations have the word observed, that which we observed. The Vines Expository Dictionary says the Greek word here means to contemplate. It's the idea of watching or studying intently in order to understand or come to a conclusion. Our conclusion, John writes, based on what we heard, saw, and observed, is that Jesus is the word of life. He is the Son of God. Finally, that which was from the beginning which our hands have handled. Which our hands have handled. That word handled is the same word Jesus used in Luke chapter 24, verse 39. When he appeared to the disciples after his resurrection. This is what the Bible says. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself Handle me. Handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. Touch me. You want proof that I'm alive, disciples? A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones like I have. Touch me. Look at my hands. Look at the scars here. Look at my feet. Touch me. Handle me. John says in 1 John 1, 1, we handled him, we touched him after the resurrection. I can testify that man was dead, 
And he's alive today. That is John's testimony. First-hand testimony. All of that's just verse 1. How are we doing on time? Love me. Love me, Grace. Verse 2. For the life, that is the word of life, Jesus, the life was manifested or revealed, made visible. The life was made visible. Jesus was made visible. He wasn't hidden from the world. He was revealed to the world. His life was on display for people to see, hear, observe, touch. And we have seen it, John writes, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. Eternal life there in verse 2 is a reference to Jesus, his eternity past and his eternity future. He was with God from the very beginning. That puts him on par, on equality with God. He was equal to the Father, fully God, yet made visible to us in the flesh as God's Son. Verse 3 gives us the first expressed purpose of the letter. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. Why? Here's the purpose of John's writing. That you also may have fellowship with us. That you, reader, will have fellowship with us. John's desire is for fellowship. That word in the Greek is koinonia. You've heard that word before, koinonia. It means communion, partnership, close relationship, koinonia fellowship. But any relationship, any fellowship can only come as a result of fellowship with God the Father and with God the Son. This is where true fellowship happens. If I have koinonia fellowship with God and with Jesus, and if you have koinonia fellowship with God and with Jesus, then we have koinonia fellowship with one another. That is John's desire. That we have that kind of fellowship with one another. The second expressed purpose of the letter is found in verse 4. And these things write we unto you that your joy, many translations say our joy. I think our joy is better. These things write we unto you that our joy may be full. That is our joy collectively. Not just your joy reader, not just our joy, John and the people with him, but our joy collectively. Because of the fellowship that we have together in Jesus Christ, we can have that kind of joy. As an aside, there's a third purpose of the letter. It's uh, found in chapter 2, verse 1. My little children... These things write I unto you that you sin not. That you sin not. 
1 John chapter 2, verse 1, points back to verses 5 through 10, the next six verses in chapter 1. In the interest of time, let me summarize them for you. There's a lot of talk about light and darkness in verses 5, 6, and 7. They should come up on the screen. What John is writing here in these verses is that God is light. Light is his nature. It means he is holy. He is pure. He is righteous. And in him is no darkness at all. Darkness is unrighteousness. It's walking outside of God's will. It is hidden sin. Light and darkness cannot mix. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? It can't. There can be no fellowship between light and darkness, between what is righteous and what is unrighteous. If we walk in darkness, we have no fellowship with God. John writes. But if we walk in the light, verse 7, there is forgiveness. There's forgiveness available through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the Bible says. That forgiveness happens when we don't hide our sin in the darkness. Instead, verse 9 says forgiveness happens when we confess our sin. If we confess our sins, He is faithful. And he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, nine. Continual confession of sin is an indication of genuine salvation. It's evidence that we're walking in the light. When sin is revealed, we go to the Lord and we confess our sins. Confession is saying the same thing about sin that God says about sin that keeps us in fellowship with him and with one another i don't remember where i saw this next quote Uh, i confess i did a ton of study in this week and i uh, uh, pulled out some commentaries and books and and i wrote down a quote and i don't know where it came from so i can't give credit to whoever said this i apologize to that person if he's watching online That person said this, the basis of our fellowship with God is not our sinlessness, but his forgiveness. Verses 8 and 10 are interesting because it seems like they're saying the same thing, but there's a difference. There's a difference here. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Verse 8 is talking about the sin nature. False teachers of John's day were denying the existence of a sin disposition in us. They were denying an existence of a sin disposition in their own lives. 
Remember, they're up here in the clouds now. They're not living real life. They're living up here. They had this deeper understanding of the Scriptures. They were better than everyone else. They were more enlightened than everyone else. And they denied their sin nature. Verse 10 is talking about sin itself. Not, uh, not the sin nature, but individual sins. This is the person who never admits his sin. This is important. Because if someone never admits to being a sinner, salvation cannot result. There's no need for a savior if you don't sin. And yet we make God a liar when we say we don't sin because the Bible says all have sinned. All have sinned. And God does not lie. That's the message. Now for the parable. I want to introduce you to a, a video. This is real life. This is a police dash cam video of an incident that occurred back, uh, back home for me in Charles County, Maryland. Uh, anyone who's from Grace and knows me knows I was a police officer at the Charles County Sheriff's Office for 25 years. This was my agency. This video was released to the public on September 9, 2016. There's no rights associated with it. As a matter of fact, I contacted the uh, press information officer and asked for permission to use it. She said, you don't need permission. And she sent the video to me. She said it was released to the public. There's no rights. We hold no rights to it. I call this the parable of the dash cam video. And when it's over, I'll talk a little bit about it, and then I'll make the application. Stacy.
So you saw, <coughs> you saw the timestamp on that video. It's just after midnight on September 3rd, 2016, that this happened. Officers pulled up to a single vehicle accident in the woods. Uh, as you can see, the vehicle caught on fire after striking a tree. When it left the roadway, the vehicle was occupied by an adult male driver, two adult females, and two babies in car seats. Uh, by the time officers arrived on the scene, there were four occupants remaining in the vehicle. That's because uh, one of the adult females was ejected from the vehicle. You may have heard uh, over the radio one of the officers saying, I found someone outside the car. Uh, she was ejected from the vehicle and had uh, significant facial lacerations. Uh, the male driver had a broken leg. <laughs> you should have seen one of the officers dragging him away from the car. And then you saw a woman running to the officers yelling, Here! Here! She brought a fire extinguisher to help the officers try to fight the blaze. So here's what's happening in the vehicle, what you cannot see. Officers discover a woman trapped in the vehicle along with two babies in car seats in the back. They cannot get the woman out, but one of the officers reaches into the back seat and pulls the babies out of their car seats one at a time, handing one of the babies to a Charles County Sheriff's deputy. You saw him come up to the woods. He was in the, uh, uh, come up to the roadway and lay the baby down. He was in the darker uniform. The second officer was a Maryland State Trooper. He had the second baby, and he laid them, uh, these children side by side. And they were carried to safety. I think you could see that fairly clearly on the video. So these officers received the Medal of Valor for their actions that day, and they deserved it. So how does any of this apply to a message out of 1 John chapter 1? I'll tell you. Three times... Three times the Apostle John says, I just have to tell you about Jesus. Man, I've got to tell you about Jesus. I have to tell you what I heard him say. I have to tell you about what I saw him do. I have to tell you what I observed in him. I have to tell you what I felt when I touched him. I just have to tell you. Three times, starting in verse 2, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life. Again, in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you. You need to know this, reader. You need to hear this message. And again in verse 5, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you. Three times. I've just got to tell you. Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe the message of last week, the message of Easter, the message of Resurrection Sunday, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was alive, took on human flesh, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross for your sins. 
as a substitute for you. He paid the penalty for your sins. Do you really believe it? The gospel is true, grace. So now what? So now what? The Apostle John gives first-hand testimony to what he heard, what he saw, what he observed, what he handled. He couldn't keep it to himself. And neither should we. Take a look at the photo on the screen. There it is. That's the photo from when the uh, officer pulled up. That's what he saw. Remember, this is the parable of the dash cam video. The flames shooting out from the engine compartment of that car. I want you to understand, in this parable, that is hell. That is hell. Those flames. People today are dying every day and going to hell. Every day. So I have three questions for you. Three questions as we come to a close. Question number one. Who will be the police officers in this video? Who will be the police officers in this video? Three people have been pulled from that vehicle by officers, a male driver and two babies. Who will be bold enough to share the gospel with those who are on their way to hell? Who will risk being criticized? Who will risk being made fun of? Who will risk even their own safety to keep people from dying and going to hell? Who will say with the Apostle Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Who? And don't think you have to have the gift of evangelism here. You just have to be willing to invite someone to church. Allow them to hear the message here in this building. Introduce them to Matthew. Introduce them to me. Introduce them to the elders. We would love to speak with them and tell them about Jesus. I'm reading a book. Uh, this book is called The Irresistible Church. It's by Wayne Cordero. He is a pastor at uh, New Hope Christian Fellowship, I believe it's called, in Oahu, Hawaii. Large, influential church. Listen to uh, what he writes. This is out of chapter 8, page 100. The, the uh, subtitle is 12 Traits of a Church that Heaven Applauds, the Irresistible Church. The eighth trait of an irresistible church, a church God loves to bless, is that it connects everything it does to the soul. That means every function of the church is connected to the mission of somehow, somewhere, saving the lost and helping people grow in the faith. A church is not simply a subculture with its own music, fashions, diets, and movies. We are asked to be a counterculture. And in order to be salt, we must be that. 
We cannot settle for being a community of people who rally around a common cause. There's earnestness and purposefulness to our work because of eternal consequences. God invites us to love, serve, and obey him. And part of the adventure of following him means that we get to have a hand in helping people find their way to the Lord. This is from page 104. Now is our time. We won't have any other chance at this life again. This is our run. An irresistible church never forgets her assignment. Our energies, our activities, our planning and our actions must somehow, somewhere, always be connected to the soul. If that car is hell, who will be the police officers in this video? Question number two. Who will be the citizen in this video? Who will be the citizen in this video? You see what she's doing here? You may not see it well, but she's handing a fire extinguisher to the police officer. She's giving what she has to help. And you do this so well, Grace. You do this so well. You give so generously so that the church can win more people to Christ. Thank you. Thank you. But did you hear what she was saying after handing the fire extinguisher to the officer? Did anybody hear what she was saying? She ran up to the officer. She said, here, here. And she gave him the fire extinguisher. And as she was running away, she said it over and over, at least four times, maybe five. Help them, Lord. Help them, Lord. Help them, Lord. Help them, Lord. She was praying. Help them, Lord. Who will be this citizen? Who will pray for Matthew as he prepares to preach each week? Who will pray for Charlene and those who minister to our children, trying to lead them to Christ? Who will pray for Andrew and those who serve in student ministries? Who will pray for Susie and our missionaries, both local and international? How about this? Who will pray for the lost? Who will pray for those who don't know the Lord as their personal Savior? Every Wednesday evening, a group of people gather in this room right here for prayer. The purpose is to pray for Matthew. Pray for the ministries of grace. But during that prayer time, on our prayer list are over 75 names of loved ones that who, do, who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. 75, over 75 names. And we pray faithfully for those loved ones on that list every Wednesday evening. Hear me. There's movement. Things are happening. Doors are opening in the hearts and lives of some people on that list. And our desire is to cross off a name but leave it there so we can rejoice that it's been crossed out. This person now knows the Lord and will rejoice together. Who will be that citizen? And who will pray? Final question. Who is still in the vehicle? 
Who would say, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven? Or perhaps you would say, I know I'm not going to heaven. Who knows? They're on their way to hell, but would like to change direction. Jesus will change your direction. And I would love to tell you about it. If you have any questions about anything I've shared here uh, this morning, if you want to hear more about how you can become a Christian, if you want to hear more about baptism or about Wednesday evening prayer service, please see me. Let's schedule a time to meet. I would love to speak with you. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I'm so thankful so thankful for your word. It is living and powerful. And I pray, dear God, that you would now speak to our hearts and give us a clear understanding of what you're calling us to do. Oh God, give us a burden for the lost. Give us no rest. Because of someone we know who doesn't know you as Savior and Lord. May we be faithful in prayer for those people. And by your grace, please draw them to yourself. Thank you for the morning. Thank you for your grace in Jesus' name.